Welcome to the Turfgrass Hotline. We're catching up with Ken Benoit on the Connect to Protect Tour. He's riding his bike across the U.S. to connect to environmental stewardship practiced on golf courses. This is also a personal journey for Ken to connect to America and our sense of unity and country. All of this is brought to you by our sponsors at Dryject, Intelligrow, and the Plant Food Company. For those of you following the journey on Ken's website, ecoturfconsulting.com, or on Twitter, you'll notice these conversations you'll hear here are a little bit behind where Ken is right now in his journey. (laughs) All I can say is I've had a bit of an Achilles issue myself. In my case, my in-person teaching commitment began here at Cornell in late August and demands much of my time these days to prepare for class, teach, and meet with students outside of class. So what you're going to listen to in this episode are two conversations we had on Ride Day 14 and Ride Day 18 around the time Ken took for some extra rest days due to persistent 100-degree heat. Oddly enough, within 24 hours of that heat, there was a few inches of snow on the ground and 30 degrees. This gave him plenty of time to catch up on journaling his experience for the website and staying active, promoting the cause, and reflecting on the 1,800-plus miles he's made since mid-August. In any case, the aches and pains are beginning to be manageable for Ken, and the excitement of visiting courses has given way to some random acts of kindness he'll tell us about in the great state of Iowa, where we caught up with him early Monday morning, August 31st, 2020, on Ride Day 14. Okay, we are on the road still with Ken Benoit, and Ken is on the Connect to Protect Tour, riding his bicycle across the United States of America, highlighting best management practices, and... There probably isn't a single body part in the entire golf industry, Ken, being paid attention to as much as your Achilles. Uh, so <laughs> with the health and well-being update, Ken, how is that geriatric body holding up? Well, thanks for asking, Frank. It is miraculously on the mend. Uh, despite the fact that I continue riding, I've made some changes, uh, as I discussed in the last conversation we had. I think those changes are paying off, lowering the seat a little, moving the cleat on my shoe a little bit, mm-hmm. changing how I'm pedaling and uh, standing up less and using uh, a little bit of uh, medication along with some ice. And I think all those things combined have helped to start to cure that. Uh, that problem that I've been having. Okay. So you've been keeping up the riding and you certainly have been generating the content. Let's start like we always do with the stats. Where are you now and how many miles under your belt? We spoke just a few days ago, so you would have had to have done some of this over the weekend or have you been uh, chilling out over the weekend? Where are you now and um, how many miles under your belt? So I am, uh, I've got 14 ride days under my belt and I'm just under 1400 miles. I'm at 1379. So I'm about 20 miles under my hundred mile average that I was projected to have. Per ride day. Yeah. And I've got, I don't even know how many thousands of feet of elevation. Lots now. I got lots. So where are you now? I'm in Ames, Iowa, Iowa State. So uh, I arrived here on, I guess that was Saturday. I went to bed fully planning to ride my bike towards Sioux City uh, Sunday morning. And when I woke up, I don't know, it just felt like I needed to hang out for a day and enjoy myself, weirdly enough, being alone in a hotel room. My two rest days prior to this were spent being pretty busy uh, and surrounded by people. 
And neither of those rest days really felt like rest days, to be honest with you. It was great. The first rest day, my sister had driven and brother-in-law had driven down from Michigan. And we spent a lot of time together there in Westerville, Ohio for that day and a half. And it was awesome. I wouldn't change that for anything, but it wasn't a quote unquote rest day. Yeah. It wasn't lay down, put your feet up. I noticed in some of your blog posts, you're watching the Tour de France and, and all the bike enthusiasts. Are, are cheering you on to, to power through certain things. So listen, you, you know, you're really developing great content. So if the two days in the hotel allowed you to do this kind of work, I yeah. want to talk a little bit about staying on the bike theme, the wonderful video you shot about, uh, if you know, I don't know if you got the camera on your head or what you're doing. The cars and trucks are going by you fast. There's yeah. rumble strips and a narrow piece of road for you to stay on. About a foot and a half wide. While you're balancing 40 pounds. So uh, let's talk a little bit about this stuff that's pretty standard on a ride like this. Yeah, well, you know, in order to get from one coast to the other, you're going to have to get on some busy roads. And not all roads are created equal. Uh, I've certainly learned that uh, if I didn't know it before. You know, there are times where the back roads aren't going to work. You're going to have to get on a busy road. So that video I shot was uh, taken here in Iowa uh, on Route 30, for anybody who knows that road. And the traffic's going you know, I mean, the speed limit is 55. So you, you make a judgment how fast the traffic's going. Uh, how fast are you going? They're not going under 55. I can tell you I'm going, uh, oh, I'm, I'm averaging about 15, uh, depends uphill, downhill, but my ride into Ames, I think I averaged 14.9 miles an hour for the ride. So on route 30, I'm probably averaging maybe 16 miles in the back roads. I might be averaging less, which brings the, the overall average down. So, right. Okay. You know, I think we've agreed in an offline conversation that we don't want everybody to watch this if they're a little faint of heart, because I'm looking at you navigate this thing and I'm like, oh God, can't please just just keep your tire. And then I, you see the rumble strip and I'm thinking, man, you hit the rumble strip wrong. You're going yeah. flying. Are, are people good about it? It seemed like you had some messages to send to people about respecting bikes on the road and their rights to be there. Has it generally been uh, pretty good since you left Ohio? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Zanyville. I've had good experiences for the most part, I'd say 99.9% of the cars that pass me are super respectful. There's that 0.1% that, you know, I don't know what's in their brain, uh, you know, whether they just don't see me or whether they just don't care. I, I can't answer that, but there are moments where it gets scary. Yeah. And you know, there's a rumble strip in the middle of the road and there's a rumble strip on the shoulder. So when you hear the rumble coming behind you, you just hope that it's the rumble strip in the middle of the road that you're hearing, not the one right next to you. Right. And just a note to everybody, uh, don't text and drive because Ken might be on the side of the ro road and we want to make sure that that rumble strip uh, that he hears isn't the one with your tire uh, right behind him. So listen, we can talk about this harrowing bicycle experience where I know everybody's going to be glad to hear that your body's getting itself back in shape. You're saddling up and heading off to Sioux City. But boy, the stuff at Brickyard Crossing uh, really, you know, there's several videos on there, but let's talk about the Brickyard Crossing. You mentioned yeah. about how big it is and how cool it is to be in the, the middle of that thing. But boy, what a great video you shot with him talking about clipping volume. Uh, you oh. want to take a minute and talk about what you learned 
about that visiting him? Yeah. So one of the things I learned because I went away from being a golf course superintendent before utilizing that uh, strategy was how easy it is. And I think that that surprised the guys at Brickyard Crossing too. It's a pretty simple process. And once they got into the groove of utilizing that as a part of their management decision-making process, they realize how simple it really was and also how valuable. Yeah. And I think what happens, you know, it's funny to hear you say that because, you know, a lot of times in the last several years when I've either watched my colleagues or myself talk about this, you know, you do get a little bit of the eye rolling. Oh, you know, I do it because, you know, I ask the guys how many buckets and in their mind, they're monitoring it. But there's something about having a number. And looking at data and seeing a line move a particular way that's different than the unconscious, like, oh, how many buckets did you get? Or you stop a guy and say, how many times have you emptied? Yeah, you're turning an art into science. Yeah. Very similar to using a moisture meter, right? I mean, there are guys that uh, when when that trend first started, there were guys that looked at that and thought it was hooey. And those are the same guys now that I don't think they could manage their golf course without a moisture meter. You know, I mean, it's just become a part of what we do and, and the tool that we do. All right. So listen, a part of the trip that, you know, I guess you and I have said it's sort of connecting to the soul of America, if you will, or, you know, this interest you had in, in sort of seeing, you know, what this country is in and amongst one of the more divisive times we've had and and certainly a a lot of interest from some to keep it divisive. What about this experience you had in Iowa? So I came out of the Rust Belt or whatever you want to call that and was, as you know, feeling pretty disappointed in some of the interactions I had had and and experience that I'd had come through those states. Mm -hmm. And not that there weren't great people and not that there weren't really good experiences, but there were some pretty lousy moments there in terms of interacting with people that I'd run across. Mm -hmm. Then I got into Iowa. And, you know, I was started uh, at Tim Gravert's place and I got there and my Achilles was swollen up big time and I was concerned. Uh, I was going to try to get out of there the next day and just get away, go to a hotel and possibly rest for a couple of days. Uh, I didn't tell Tim that or his wife. And as they heard me talk about my Achilles, They said, well, you just stay here for a day or two, however long you need at our house. So that was how Iowa started. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kindness. Somebody who cared about their fellow American. And uh, so I thought, wow, that was really cool. So it was a great start to making my way through Iowa. So I stayed there an extra day, rested up, left there on Friday morning and my Achilles felt better after resting it on Thursday. And I had a 110 mile ride on Friday and I was nearing the end of the ride about seven miles from my destination. And this storm is coming at me uh, like a freight train. And I see lightning off in the distance and I'm in the middle of corn country, Frank. I mean, I'm in the middle of nowhere on a gravel road. Uh, Houses are miles apart. And I'm thinking, what the heck am I going to do for shelter? Because there's no way I can make it to my destination. And no sooner did I start getting all worked up and worried about that, than I see these two pickup trucks uh, down the road parked. You could see the drivers are just sitting there talking to each other. 
They didn't have to worry about traffic because there is no traffic. So they're just sitting there talking and I'm thinking to myself, please, please don't drive away before I get up to you. I need to talk to you two guys and try to figure this thing out. So thankfully they didn't move. I pulled up to them and introduced myself and said, hey, I'm riding my bike to this campgrounds here and I'm not going to make it before the storm gets here. And they look at me and one guy goes, yeah, you're telling me. You're not <laughs> and so I said, do either of you know of any place where I could get some shelter just to wait this storm out? And one guy goes, yeah, these buildings right here, I own them. Uh, I'm a farmer around here and you can just go in any of those buildings. I said, all right, point me in the direction of the building you want me in. He said, go to that building there with the green roof. So I drove over there. As soon as I opened the door and walked my bike in, it's the skies let loose. Uh, So super lucky to run into those guys. Well, not more than a minute later, this guy pulls up and, you know, he probably wanted to see who the hell was standing in his barn. Uh, And so uh, he pulls in, gets out, and we start talking. And we rain's coming down hard and, and, uh, starts hailing. I mean, it's coming down. Oh yeah. This is not a pretend, uh, storm here. This is an Iowa storm. <laughs> and so we're talking, getting to know each other a little bit. He's asking me questions. I'm asking him and he goes, he goes, you know, why don't you go next door? I, I own that house over there. The renters, uh, just in the middle of moving out and you can just jump in the shower, clean up a little bit. And, and I said, well, thanks for the offer, but I'm going to have to ride down this muddy gravel road when it's time to leave and I'll probably just get dirty again. So thanks, but no thanks. And we talked for a few more minutes and he goes, you know, let me call the guy and see if he's got most of his stuff out of there and see if he minds if you just spend the night in that house. And I thought, wow, how cool is that? And uh, so he calls the guy, the guy says, yeah, go ahead. And he said, just don't steal my vacuum. <laughs> you know, so they had a fun joke about the fact I'm on a bike. I really couldn't steal anything anyway. <laughs> So great. I'm set up. I'm going to go over there and spend the night. And we start talking some more and, you know, we're chatting and we share some common interests, fishing mainly. And so we're talking about fishing and, and uh, he goes, Hey, I got it. I got another idea. Why don't we throw your bike in my truck? We'll go to my house. You can shower up there. You have dinner with us. We're going to go to the high school football game tonight. (laughs) No way. And you can spend the night in, in our house. And get a comfortable night's sleep. You won't have to sleep on a floor, which I thought the floor was going to be way better than the ground, the wet ground. So I think I said yes before he even got done answering. But I told him, I, I can't move my bike. I want to leave my bike here because I'll need to be dropped back off. I'm not, I'm not going to miss an inch of uh, coast to coast. Uh, there's not going to be any section that I haven't ridden. He goes, Completely understand. So we left my bike there, went off to his house, went down into his finished basement. We're sitting around, we're drinking some beers, chatting. Can we stop here for a second? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. You know this guy, what, a a whole 45 minutes, an hour by the time you're having dinner and drinking beers in his basement? Yeah. So it was probably a half hour of us sitting there talking. It went from you could take a shower to you could sleep on the floor in that house to why don't you come to my house and uh, we'll have dinner. We'll go to the football game and, and then we'll come home and, and then you can sleep in a comfortable bed. 
Frank, it was just amazing. And so we did all that. We had a great dinner because of our fishing stories that we exchanged. He he decided to pull out some uh, walleye that he had caught. <laughs> so we had a walleye fish fry uh, and the best cream corn I ever had uh, in my life. And uh, it was amazing. So we did that. We went to the football game. Turns out this guy's like the mayor of the town. Uh, everybody knows him. He's a former football coach there. He's a former college player, was being recruited for the Cowboys and a couple other pro teams before he had a massive knee injury that ended his career, uh, his senior year in, in college. Turns out he was a veterinarian. He gave up his his vet practice just, uh, I think, a year or two ago. His sons are both doctors. One's a dentist. One's a chiropractor. His wife is a teacher. She's got a master's degree. They make fun of her because she's only got a master's degree. I mean, it's just a great family here in the middle of America. And how much luck did I have running across that guy? I, I can't even get over it. Just one more note before we let you go. I'm assuming that you noticed it pretty quick. There's not much elevation rise now until you get on the other side of Nebraska and you start to go up towards the Rockies. So I'm hoping that you got a little aerodynamic plan. You know, I, I chatted with somebody who does some bike riding and they're like, wait a minute, everybody else goes the other way. What's he yeah. doing? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and you know, anybody who's ever done this ride or, uh, or knows anything about it, ask me that same question. Why are you going east to west? And, you know, my response is generally, I've never done anything the easy way. So it is what it is. I wanted to go east to west, not to prove a point or anything, just it felt natural for me to move westward. You know, our country was founded uh, by moving westward, and I wanted that experience. And so, so that's why I'm going east to west. All right, Ken. Great chatting with you. You be safe. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Frank. Just a note here about our longtime sponsor, Dryjack, the only machine that aerates top dresses and amends in one pass. And I might add, has so many more features using wet sand now, different depths, especially shallow, and it's really efficient. In my experience, this has been a game changer for many courses trying to improve drainage and firmness. Contact your local Dryjack services representative for more information. Now let's reconnect with Ken Benoit on Ride Day 18, where he discusses the long road ahead till the climb over the Continental Divide. We recorded this conversation on Monday, September 7, 2020, Ride Day 18. Ken, the last time we talked, you were in Iowa. You had had these wonderful experiences, both with Superintendent Tim Gravert and, and a wonderful personal experience that you described and we talked about last episode. So let's start like we always do here on our fourth episode of following you across the country. Uh, where are you now and how are you feeling? Well, I am uh, in Valentine, Nebraska. I've uh, been here now for two days and I'm feeling good, Frank. I, I battled a head cold at the beginning of last week and that thing settled in and hung around until Friday, Saturday, but it, it seems to have now uh, run its course and, uh, Physically, my, my Achilles, I don't want to jinx it, <laughs> but it feels like it's back to normal. Okay. Uh, I think I've ridden through the, the, the rough spot with that, and, and it's, uh, it, it's on the run now. So you took a couple of days off, it sounds like, and is this consistent with what you thought you were going to do, or are you finding that, hey, I, 
I'm willing to ride a hundred miles for five days, but I like sort of sitting on my butt for a couple of days. Uh, even if it is, I'm not feeling well. Do you like the rhythm of the way things are going? Well, you know, actually I didn't like to take two days off, uh, here in Valentine. It's a lovely little town uh, in Nebraska, but it, it really does break my rhythm to take that time off. Uh, it was heat induced. The, the weather, uh, two days ago was over a hundred. Uh, and yesterday it was at a hundred and I had done a couple of hundred degree rides through Illinois, uh, 116 miles, uh, one day. And it was a hundred, uh, 101. I think I told my wife, this is supposed to be an adventure, not a death march. <laughs> I, I, I just can't do the hundred degree rides, not a hundred miles. And, you know, you get into a remote area like this and you almost got to ride a hundred miles to get to a place where you can stay. So uh, I don't want to get caught out in the middle of nowhere uh, on a hundred degree day and be done riding and have to figure out what the heck I'm going to do for uh, lodging. That. Well, I know you could always bump into Kyle out in the sand hills. I know somebody lives out there <laughs> in western Nebraska. But listen, um, let's do a little mile count. Uh, how many miles have you done on the bike so far now? So I'm at a, a little over 1,800 miles. It's 1,810 miles. And I've done about 65,000 feet of climbing. So you can see my number, my climbing number isn't going up like it was. I think in the first week I had almost 40,000 feet of climbing. And now uh, a week and a half later, or almost two weeks later, I'm really only 15,000 feet higher than where I was a couple of weeks ago. Listen, when you come out of the Northeast, you had to come through the Appalachian Mountains, and we call them different things, Poconos and other sorts of things. But once you did that and you get out past Ohio, you start to get into some really wonderful agricultural land. And, and part of the reason it's really wonderful is because it's, it's flat and thick topsoil. And I'm sure you're getting a look. I, I want to talk about uh, some of the visitors that you've had. Uh, and we'll start jokingly with the cows that decided to trail you for a little while. How has it been for you to uh, drive through this part of rural America? Well, it's just wonderful to ride the bike through this area. You know, there's not such density of population, so there's less traffic. There's a, just a different vibe when you go in the grocery store. There's a different vibe than when you're going in the grocery store in a big urban area. Almost everybody will say hello to you as you pass them with your shopping cart. It's just a, a different vibe, and, and not better or worse, just different. Yeah, I mean, what did the cows have to say? <laughs> so funny. I've always had this thing about cows. When I drive by them, weirdly, I, I always beat my horn. I, I don't know what it, what it is, Frank. I'm admitting that for the first time. Uh, well, let's just keep that between the two of us. So I, I'm passing these cows, and the fence line was pretty close to the trail I was on. And I decided, oh, let me stop. I'll stop and get a drink of water here and, you know, look at the cows for a minute. And I stopped. And cows are curious by nature, uh, seemingly. And uh, so I stopped and a couple cows started walking toward me from the middle of this big open field. I threw out a couple of moves, I have to admit. And all of a sudden, I had 15 or 20 cows coming to me and a couple of them were running toward me. Uh, I suspect they were probably looking for some food. Uh, so I just sat there and marveled at them. And then it was time to go. I got on my bike, started a ride. 
all of a sudden they start trotting down the fence line with me. So I stopped and got my phone out. I had to dome it and uh, started riding my bike. And sure enough, they're on a dead sprint chasing me down the fence line. And it was just a really cool experience. Just fun to connect. Now, what about, uh, let's get to uh, some of the professional aspects of the Connect to Protect Tour, uh, getting out and seeing golf course superintendents. And it sounds like uh, you were successful in procuring a golf course uh, in the great state of Nebraska. So let's uh, hear about how that visit went. I was successful, and uh, I want to thank everybody that helped set that up. And I actually ended up visiting two courses while I was here in Valentine. I visited the Prairie Club Saturday morning, and Brandon Arns is the director of agronomy there. And Boy, if you haven't been to the Prairie Club, you got to go. This place is amazing, built in the sand hills of Nebraska, and it's carved out of nature it looks like it was just sitting there and they just started mowing grass i mean it, it it blends in with the countryside so well and apparently they haven't moved much earth there it was just a marvel to behold they've got two courses so their bmp uh, that they chose to highlight not what we would consider a typical bmp but it was a really interesting concept and i thought it was worthwhile uh, recording and the director of agronomy there because Finances are tight. COVID has changed the game. Had to make some changes in his program. And he's now dry mowing his fairways after the dew is lifted and gone. So he's reduced his carbon footprint by dry mowing because he's not blowing clippings anymore. He doesn't collect clippings. And so he doesn't have to blow those anymore. And I think he said he saved $36,000 in fuel alone for a year by not having to blow clippings. He's getting a healthier turf plant uh, with the dry cut. So he feels that he's using less fungicide. He's got less input because he's got a healthier turf plant due to the higher quality of cut that he gets with a dry mow. Well, it's interesting, Ken. You know, that's an interesting little uh, aspect of best management practices because, you know, you'd say to yourself, well, how is that environmental stewardship? But ultimately... You know, the progressive argument, the mature argument about a golf course as a land use is these uh, what we call ecosystem services that they deliver uh, for, you know, whether it's water infiltration or carbon sequestration or all these other things. But at the same time, we have to manage these. These are heavily managed uh, landscapes as well. And so there is a bit of a disservice done when we emit things, right? So uh, it is important for us to keep in mind that anytime we can reduce emissions, whether it's uh, alternative fuel sources or as this golf course superintendent is doing, uh, minimizing the amount of time you're using uh, internal combustion engines is, in fact, the best uh, practice from an energy and emission and broader perspective. So this is, while it might not seem mainstream, I do think we would challenge every golf course superintendent, I don't think we think about this a lot, to consider their uh, reduction in energy use. And, and just like happened in 09, Ken, when finances get tight, uh, we tend to get a little bit more creative. So this, I would really uh, stack on the idea of creativity, huh? Yes, uh, super creative. And I asked him how his crew has adopted that. Have they fought him on this? Because they're working different shifts now because they've got to work later into the evening on a couple nights. And he said they're fine with it. They're not working any more hours. 
they've just shifted their hours around a little bit more. And he said, and in fact, the guys have prefer it because they get shorter days, a couple days of the week, log in these longer hours, uh, a couple other days of the week. So uh, his crews adopted to it. You know, they've got 180 acres of fairway at those two golf courses. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. Wait, did you say one eight zero? One eight zero. Okay. <laughs> okay, let's hold it there for a second. Before I get to that sort of interesting, you know, I guess that's why they call it the Prairie Golf Club, right? It's really uh, spectacular out there. But what about the golfers? You know, I think a lot of guys would like to dry cut. And, and it seems like maybe the workers like it, uh, but does it get involved with golf? How are they, was there any discussion about how golf gets uh, worked around this, Ken? Yeah, for sure. We did talk about that. And he said that they've got a lull there mid-morning. And so that, that's when they'll start this process and they can mow and stay in front of the uh, afternoon golfers, you know, late morning afternoon golfers by starting mid-afternoon and they close one of the courses for a brief amount of time so that they can get out and go. So this is a coordinated effort at the club level. Not This isn't just the superintendent having to scramble and dash around and try to make it work. Uh, there's a coordinated effort from the top to make this happen, which is really refreshing. Excellent. So let's uh, talk about moving forward like you're doing. Uh, it sounds like you are uh, doing pretty good about your 100 miles a day. Uh, what day is this uh, riding day? Do you know off the top of your head? And what's the total number of days? Do you have that uh, figured out in your head in any way? Yeah, I, you know better than to ask me that question. <laughs> I have those numbers locked in. <laughs> uh, I am on ride day 20. So I've got 19 under my belt. I've had to make some adjustments. Originally, I had 34 ride days, but there were a couple days that were shortened, and I'm up to 38 ride days now. And it looks like my total mileage is going to be about 3,400 miles. Excellent. Well, the good news is that you are more than halfway now. I'm past the halfway point. That based on my calculations, I got about 1,600 miles to go. All right. So, where are you heading this week? We are recording this on Labor Day, uh, September 7th. Uh, where are you heading for the next uh, several days this week? You're going to make it into the next state, I hope? Yeah, I'll be in Wyoming on Wednesday. So here's the craziness of the weather here in the Midwest. Uh, 105 degrees Saturday, 100 degrees Sunday. I think it's going to be in the 80s today, Monday, tomorrow, Tuesday, high in the upper 30s and an possible inch and a half of snow. <laughs> so uh, I'm heading to Rushville, Nebraska today, and that's about 105 miles. So I'm going to get there. Okay. There's one small motel in Rushville, Nebraska that I'm going to be staying at for two nights because I can't ride in... 30 degree weather on Tuesday, tomorrow. Right. So I'm going to wait that out. And then the weather looks like it's going to turn beautiful. It'll be cold in the mornings. And then I'll be in Wyoming on Wednesday, all things going as planned. And yeah, I'll be in Wyoming, I think, for five days. 
and then it's Idaho and Oregon. So you'll start the uh, climb across the Rockies, the Continental Divide. You'll start that midweek or late this week. That's late this week. That's right. That's right. Because of all these rest days I've got built in, I had a rest day built in in uh, Casper, Wyoming, but I'm not going to need that. So at this point, I'm going to try to ride all the way to Boise without a rest day. And I think that calculates out to 11... 11 ride days. So that's my plan. Well, and I'm wishing you uh, nothing but the best of luck, Ken, as you start to make that climb. Are you mindful of that climb with what happened on the climb uh, out of the Northeast? Yeah. And I've been testing my Achilles by standing up throughout the last week and it's been responding very well. So the changes that I've made in my pedal stroke and adjustments that I've made on my bike, I think it paid off and the Achilles is no longer under the same pressure it was under prior and, and I feel free to fly. All right, Ken, usually uh, we wrap up our conversations by talking about something about uh, just the people you meet and finding the soul of America. Again, you had that great story in Iowa. What was your story here in Nebraska around a really cool public golf course? So I ran into the superintendent here in Valentine, a young kid named Andrew Getty. Uh, 24 years old, and he said, hey, you should come over to my golf course. First of all, he was my chauffeur. He took me the 20 miles out and back to Prairie Club so I didn't have to ride my bike, which I was very thankful for. So we went over to his club when we got done with the Prairie Club and started touring around. He tells me the story about this golf course. It's a municipal golf course. It opened in 2017. So somewhere around 2015, the community had decided they wanted to build a golf course for the community. So they put a plan together and they reached out to some architects and Tom Lehman, who did the work at Prairie Club, said, you know what? I'd love to do that golf course and I'll do it at cost. So they saved some money with a, and got a great architect. And this community of 3,000 people donated $400,000 toward the project, which blows my mind. They had farmers on bulldozers. Uh, They got uh, drainage pipe donated. They built the entire thing. It's a 10-hole golf course, first of all, which is one of the coolest things ever. 10-hole golf course. So they built this 10-hole golf course for just over $2 million. And I'm telling you, Frank, it's bluegrass fairways, which we love. That's a BMP right there, by the way. He doesn't make any pesticide applications on these fairways. And he's got bent grass greens that are amazing. You got to see this place. It's incredible. It's no other golf course around here has got anything on it. $30 for 10 holes, and that includes a cart. And if you want to play 20 holes, throw in another 10 bucks. It's 40 bucks. <laughs> for 20 holes in a cart. And you have a lot of people in the community that are also helping to keep it up now that it's built. Yeah, so I'm not sure how that works. I know he's got a small crew. He's his own mechanic. He does get some help. I believe the Prairie Club allows him to go down and use their grinders for uh, grinding reels. Yeah, it's just this little jewel that was built by a community. It's just a great story for golf. It really is. And I got to tell you, we've been doing some work here in central Finger Lakes, Western New York. 
and we are meeting with a lot of mom and pop operations. Can you wouldn't believe how many mom and pop operations we have here in, in rural upstate New York and uh, much like that, not maybe the great story of having a golf pro come in and put the money together to do it. But nevertheless, it does speak to the community value that a golf course can have with people who, who like to recreate that way. Now, listen, before I let you go, you're heading out, as you said, uh, into Wyoming. I'm wondering about uh, where you're going to be visiting in Wyoming. Well, that's a great question, and I'd love to be able to answer that question, Frank. Uh, I don't have a golf course set up in Wyoming yet, and uh, geez, it would be the first state that I've gone through without a visit if it doesn't happen. So I'm hopeful we can pull something together. That's Ken Benoit, founder and president of EcoTurf Consulting. And this Connect to Protect tour can be found at EcoTurfConsulting.com. Ken's progress on videos, uh, rants, ravings, BMPs on golf courses can all be found there. So take a minute and check that out. And check back with us next time on the Connect to Protect tour that we're hosting through the Turfgrass Hotline. That's brought to you by our sponsors, Dryject, the only machine that aerates top dresses and amends in one pass. Intelligro, makers of Civitas. And the Plant Food Company, nutrient solutions that simplify and solve your plant health needs. I'm Frank Rossi. Thank you for listening.